Okay, welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I am your host, Bradley Tusk. As usual, this is a Tuesday episode, so our friend and producer, Hugo Lindgren, is here with us. Hugo, how's it going? Good morning, Bradley. So a couple of things. One is uh, stuff I'm supposed to say at the top of the podcast, but never remember to. We are recording from P&T Knitwear at the podcast studio, 180 House, House not Orchard Street, not House Street, 180 Orchard Street. Uh, it's a bookstore as well. Please come by if you're interested in looking at books or recording a podcast. Podcast studio is free for anyone to use. Um, second, uh, Thursday's episode will be a good one. Uh, Jordan and I will sit down and really walk through the state of venture capital today, technology today, and the economy today. Um, so that's always a good episode when we do that. And today we're going to do uh, something a little different. Uh, we're going to do a, a lightning round of questions and answers um, covering you know the usual stuff we talk about, politics, business, tech, current events, couple of personal things here and there, but just thought we'd change things up uh, once in a while. And so, Hugo, take it off. All right. You ready to go? Yeah. We're going we're gonna to go fast, but we always go fast. Um, there's yet another new iPhone. People going crazy about the features. How long will Apple have us on its leash? When will someone come along and turn them into General Motors? Um, they'll have us on their leash for a while, I think, because they are, at the moment, so dominant, have so much cash on the balance sheet. And the cultural status of an iPhone is so significant. Lyle the other day was asking me, tell me something that Samsung was planning on doing. And he said, well, would you get one if they did that? And I thought about it and said, nah, probably not. Uh, And it was like a much cooler thing than anything Apple has. Uh, So, you know, I, I think they hold it for a while. And look, this is, what's interesting is we now live in a world where not only are legacy companies disrupted by new entrants, but I think the awareness of that is also a lot greater, right? So I think a lot of the times you mentioned General Motors, they didn't see it coming, right? They just didn't see Japan coming and, and the rest of Asia and all of the other competition. So Apple, Tim Cook's pretty smart. They um, actually let the Japanese come in and tour the factories like in the 50s. Right. And so th- I think one reason that Apple may be able to last a little longer is they know this is likely to happen um, and they will just keep investing heavily in R&D to keep things ahead of the curve. In the next 10 years, what is more likely to happen in the United States? A civil war, a major depression, or a major city destroyed by a climate-driven event? Ooh. Or would you like to add pandemic, another major pandemic? Yeah. Well, so let, let's, I want those in order, please. Sure. All right. So n- number one is pandemic. Uh, number two... So the pandemic is most likely in the next 10 years. Another major pandemic. Yes. That yeah, puts of, us back of, in our of, homes, of, all that. Of these options, yes. Okay. One, one pandemic. Two... If a major U.S. city means like New Orleans, um, then yes. I I think that it's still going to be a coastal city where hurricanes with the added impact of climate change just become so devastating that the city can't withstand it at all. Um, So if that's the case, if you mean like Chicago, no, I don't think so. Um, Civil war, I think that the only way that that's on the table at all with any kind of civil unrest or violence is Trump. So if, if Trump either wins again or if he loses but tries to mount another interaction, then you could have violence in the street. Um, if Trump is not the nominee or doesn't run, I think the odds of that are pretty low. And what, what was our final debacle? Um, we, uh, depression. Oh, depression. Well, yeah, that's definitely possible. Look, we're, we're in a recession now. GDP was down for two consecutive quarters. Um, things are looking a little up at the moment based on the latest jobs report, but Putin over the weekend said that he's going to cut off all natural gas supplies to Europe, um, that would really devastate the European economy, which would have ripple effects on the U.S. economy. So um, hopefully we won't go into a depression, but that's also possible. So basically all the bad shit you just said, all possible in the next 10 years. Nice. Okay. Um, 
Is there anything that Americans believe in as much as the English believe in their monarchy? The National Football League. The National Football League. Do you believe in the National Football League? No, but I was convinced in five years ago, three years ago, that all of the momentum around CTEs and Colin Kaepernick and all these different things and all the kind of old white owners who say racist shit, like Daniel Snyder, that all of that combined would really lead Yeah, he's worse than a ra Well, he is a racist and he's like some crazy... Uh, worse in every way. Yeah, he's yeah. a terrible organization. Um, that all of that would lead to a significant public dissatisfaction with the NFL that would either lead to the game changing or ultimately not even existing. They have whatever they did, they batted that all away. They are stronger than ever. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't, well, this I was kind of a question supremacy for, rules. This was a question for later, but let's unpack it just for a second. I know you're not like a, a, a football fanatic or whatever, but, but the, what, what did they do? Is it just simply that people love the game so much that none of that stuff stuck, that people just wanted to sit down on, on Sunday or now pretty much every day of the week and be entertained by this like fantastically produced game? Yeah, I mean, I think that's some of it. And I think also they benefit from the fact that we live in a world where people have such short attention spans and narratives change so much and big things seem to happen all the time that what was a big trend in 2017 or 18, um, all of a sudden you have a global pandemic, you have wars, you have Donald Trump, you have all this stuff, and it just kind of overwhelms it. I'm not aware of anything really specific that the NFL did around CTEs or race or anything else that, that truly solved the problem in a meaningful way. I think that they just kind of kept going and the world changed and they managed to get away with it. If it's inevitable that China will annex Taiwan, what should U.S. leaders do to prepare for the policy choices that follow in its wake? Semiconductors, right? I mean, the, the value of Taiwan to us is that they manufacture semiconductors, and we use those in virtually every tech product we have. So if we were, if China were to annex Taiwan, which maybe they're learning from the lesson of Russia and the Ukraine, uh, maybe not, but um, if they were to do so, just like we don't have American troops on the ground in the Ukraine, I can't see us having American troops on the ground in Taiwan either. Maybe we send them military aid in the same way we have with the Ukraine. Um, the assumption is that China would then win that war because they have such overwhelming resources and advantage, though we did think that with Russia too, and so far they're not. Um, we need semiconductors, right? But by the way, so does the Chinese economy and everyone else. So there's a lot of effort happening right now to build semiconductor plants here in the U.S., and I think the hope is that those are online uh, before China goes ahead and does this. How messy do you think those deals are, like where the government's stepping in and providing all these subsidies and, and incentives? Yeah, I mean, history says that most of the time when governments throw tax incentives at companies, it does not work out. Um, that typically the company probably would have made the same decision they're going to make anyway based on availability and talent of, of the labor pool and, you know, geography in terms of distribution and everything else. And then they pit, you know, five, call it Midwestern states against each other to say, give us so much money that effectively we're building this factory for free. But because every governor, every mayor, every everyone wants to say, I'm the one that brought GM to, you know, Missouri, then, you know, they're willing to do anything and anything to get it. If you had a magic wand, this is one of your favorite yeah. devices here. I do have a magic wand. You do have a magic wand. Oh, yeah. my God. I'm going to so make this cool. podcast disappear. Um, if you had a magic wand and could fix one thing about New York City right now, what would it be? Hmm. So the, the most immediate thing to me would be homelessness, simply because it, it still baffles me 
that we let people sleep on the streets. And I mean that in two different ways. I mean that one, that morally, how can we let people sleep on the streets? Um, that, that, that we have too much money and we're too good of a society for that. But also, how do we let people sleep on the streets? You know, New York City is an incredibly dense vertical place and we all rely on the same streets and subways and parks and everything else. And when people who are often mentally ill or drug addicts are, are homeless and on the streets, that's a big risk, right? So I, I think for both reasons, that would be uh, what I would solve with the magic wand. You know, you have some really persistent problems in the city, though, in things like uh, affordable housing, right? And we need to build up and we need to build a lot more to deal with that. Or um, crime is obviously sort of on the rise these days. Or our public schools. I think under Bloomberg and Joel Klein, they made a meaningful improvement, but nothing really under de Blasio. And, you know, are they better than they used to be? Yes. But are we still losing a third of the kids last I checked? You know, yeah. Now, they, they keep inflating the criteria so that the mayors look better. Um, but ultimately, you know, our schools are subpar, and it is difficult to expect most graduates of the New York City public school system to have the skill sets they need to do well in college and then in the workforce. Uh, so there was a new Lincoln Project ad that uh, seems to have gotten under uh, Trump's skin, at least more than usual. Um, do these kinds of ads do anything more than make anti-Trumpers feel righteously indignant? Do they have a, a well, it makes positive? Mo- it makes money for the people that run the Lincoln Project. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. It does that. No. I mean, I was I was thinking about that. I, I, I saw the spot. Um, Did you like it? No. I didn't think it was confusing. Well, uh, it, it was it was that Trump is stealing from his own supporters. Right. Dear MAGA, he he's ripping you off. Right. But if I'm a moderate Republican or an independent or Democrat, I, I don't care, right, if these people get ripped off or not. It's not my problem. So I, I don't know that it was effective. Look, I think this is another example of how the mentality inside the Beltway is so radically different than the mentality outside the Beltway. Um, I know some people run the Lincoln Project. I like them. I certainly have no problem with people skewering Trump. I think that's great. But, you know, you're doing it to make yourself feel better. You're doing it so that people pay attention to your cocktail parties in Georgetown. Um, I don't think it's changing any election at all. You ever given any money to the Lincoln Project? No. Um, CNN is overhauling itself, firing familiar faces, et cetera. Um, is there any way for cable news to perform a useful function and be profitable at the same time, given the economic incentives? So we'll see, right? So we, we know there is one model that clearly works, which is the Fox News model, which is— And MSNBC is the— And MSNBC, too. So be totally right. bombastic, totally one-sided. Tell your viewers what they want to hear at all times and get good ratings and make money as a result. Um, that's what they've done successfully. CNN has sort of always been stuck in the middle where they want to come off as a more— independent, uh, reasonable news source, and yet that's a much worse business model. So it seems to me that if they don't think they can pivot to the far left or the far right, and I think it'd be hard for them to do so, the next thing is just to cut costs dramatically, right? So you, you look at all these changes and they'll- So just sort of like generic product? Yeah, just like just like what happened in newspapers, right? Just strip down, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, but, but this is what they would do is, they would fire pretty much all the high-priced talent, which they seem to be doing right now anyway. Some of it, yeah. Uh, and they would say, what's the least amount of money we can get away with to run this place? And, you know, hopefully build a profitable business around that. Um, it's pretty those, depressing. Those seem to, it, it is depressing, but at the same time, like, there's no law of nature that says that cable, any particular kind of cable news needs to exist, right? So, like... You know, if CNN can make it work, great. But if they can't, like, I, I have a hard time shedding a tear for a media outlet, to be honest. If you hear something's going on and you want to know immediately what's what it is, where do you go? Twitter? 
I don't really use Twitter. Um, no, I'll, I'll, first of all, usually I know what's going on because people are sending me links, right? right? right. Or there's some sort of alert, although I minimize the alerts that I get, so I can just click on the link or the alert. If that's not the case, um, I will most likely use Twitter if the Mets remove a player mid-game without an explanation, and I want to figure <laughs> out why that happened. You know, do they have so a that's hand, the big hamstring news, injury or whatever it is. The, the Mets send you to Twitter. If I'm ever going to use Twitter, it's mostly to check on the status of an injured Met. Okay. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how, how worried are you about AI taking control of the world away from humans and extinguishing the human race? Not that worried. Um, I, I, I get the doomsday scenario. I, I see why we should be afraid of it. But I think that at the end of the day, we're a long ways away from that. We can control that to some extent. And before we ask a question about um, civil war, climate change, pandemic, depression, all of those seem like much more immediate and, and severe risk to me. Who has appeared on the cover of Rolling Stone more times, Mick Jagger or Paul McCartney? So this feels like a trick question, right? Because I feel like the answer automatically should be Mick Jagger because he's so much cooler than Paul McCartney. But McCartney went on to have a reasonably successful solo career for a long period of time, right? Wings and then whatever else, and he's still performing at 80. So I am going to guess that the answer is actually McCartney, even though it should be Jagger. Uh, you're correct. So this was this came out of um, uh, Marine Dowd's interview with Jan Wenner, which was like I'd say. Or you can read the book about Jan Wenner. Uh, I, I I own the book that Joe Hagen, who's a friend of mine, wrote, and I read parts of it, which I thought were really good. But it, the well, that was that was Sticky Fingers, right? That was Sticky I mean, Fingers. His, his memoir, which comes out right, comes out today, to, today, yeah, tomorrow, yeah, yeah. Well, right, right this week. Will you read it? No, I I I I I guess I might have read it, but then I read the interview and I was like. I was like, God, I'm, I'm actually sort of surprised how uninteresting this is. And I mean, the, the sort of war stories of classic rock are so trod and, and I don't know, there's just not, doesn't feel like there's a reservoir of new stuff there. I think that's right. Although I thought, like, for example, came out to the Rolling Stones, I thought Life by Keith Richards was actually excellent. Um, and so uh, totally. you know, there are sometimes good music books and music autobiographies. Yeah, no, there, and and uh, I, I agree that that book was great. I I guess there 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 is also just a great you know when you feel like you're getting something directly from Keith Richards, it's a little different than directly from the guy who published a magazine because what good material? I mean, he he, he was a writer or an editor. Yeah. He did write sometimes, do interviews. Like he's not he's not in the Rolling Stones. I, anyway, I, I wonder obviously. if though you could also like I remember. I, Lyle and I listened to the Beastie Boys book on audio, but we almost never do audiobook, but we were driving to and from Maryland, and it kind of made sense. And the only thing that frustrated me, because it was the best audiobook I've ever heard, is there wasn't some easy way to then link to or play the songs that they were talking about, right? Yeah. So I get that that's even harder to do in a, in a written book, but I wonder if you couldn't say, here's the accompanying playlist on Spotify. And so at the various points where you're reading about this band and this song and this thing or that, you can just go to that and play. Well, they, they definitely have playlists that, that people make on Spotify to accompany things where the, someone will go through. Including books? Yeah, sure. Okay. But the, but the, um, I think the, the limiting factor there is it doesn't have that kind of interactivity and it, it, that you're talking about. That's just somebody doing it yeah. rather than the publisher. But they, they've been talking about this for a long time, about creating a, a, 
a, a more integrated system and in that uh, there's that I think Malcolm Gladwell's doing it with his publishing company with his podcast company yeah I mean um, I, what I read last year Bob Spitz's uh, kind of seminal biography of Led Zeppelin you know I had to kind of keep going back through other playlists to find whatever the relevant song was most of the time I knew the songs he was talking about but there are times I don't know the name it turned out once you listen you pretty much always knew the song yeah but there were names of songs I didn't know yeah no um, and, and and listening to versions or whatever you, you think there'd be a great I mean, if, if it was really well done, you could see paying for it, right? You'd, you'd say like, yeah. oh, five bucks extra for the musical sort of curation yeah, the sound, the or whatever. soundtrack, right. Know, whatever sure. it is. Um, okay, so it is Paul McCartney. Was, uh, the, you, you, you successfully um, outthought the question. Yeah. But I, sure. then I was thinking that... Um, I would have preferred it if you knew I was going to do that. And right. And it was a double well, I didn't, trick. I, didn't, um, I, I wasn't trying to trick you or get the wrong answer. I, I, was, I was actually looking for something in that interview that was like not... Obvious, <laughs> and there wasn't. And there was. It's kind of yeah. obvious. Um, if you had to pick one streaming service and could never watch another one, which one would it be? Probably HBO Max. I feel like the, the quality is just higher than everything else on there. Uh, there's a bunch of good shows. So you know, and they're they're willing to. It seems like in, in, invest in in quality over quantity. Although I guess they are starting to cut back their production budgets, and it's sort of interesting how quickly the world has turned on Netflix. Um, you know, I guess it's like everything. It's 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 like Peloton or or all these other um, you know darling companies that suddenly everybody's complaining about. Yeah, I mean, look, it it seems to me Netflix sometimes produces content that I want to watch. Uh, I watched a show called Mo recently, which was a kind of quasi sitcom. Thought it was really good, but um, yeah, I, it, it's no longer sort of like oh, if I'm looking for something to watch on streaming, I, I don't start with Netflix. Right. On the subject of internet privacy, what are your personal concerns? How much do you worry about being tracked? So this is the hard part, which is I don't personally worry about it all that much because I sort of just assume it's going to happen. And I assume people are going to try to sell me shit based on my internet browsing history or whatever else. And, you know, generally speaking, one time in 20,000 do I ever click on an ad, you know, because it was targeted properly towards me. Um, so on one hand, I have given up that expectation. On the other hand, I've given it up because we have a U.S. government that is so dysfunctional that there are no rules around privacy, right? There is no regulatory framework. California did one, um, but that's it. And so, you know, yes, I am sort of hopeless, but I may be hopeless simply because the, the, our own government has never given us any reason for hope. Um. But what about like just devices listening in your home and stuff like that? I mean, it, it seems there's a lot of eerie stuff that happens where you like my wife and I will have a conversation about something and then it like I get an email or like and I have no idea whether that's like real like like algorithms doing their magic or is it just that you yeah, just get so, so I, much I don't shit bombarded. Use, I don't use Alexa. I've never even used Siri really. Um, it, it seems to me that even though they're probably not, why do I need to make it easier for them to try to sell me things and target ads to them? And I don't know. If I want to see what time it is, I can just pull my phone in my pocket. I don't have to ask Alexa what time it is. <laughs> um, when an activist investor like Dan Loeb goes after a big company like Disney, what is your reaction? I'm going to give you four options, but you can also add to them or subtract. Okay. Um, this is precisely how capitalism should work. Companies need to, the fear of this happening to improve themselves and reform their, their ways. B, this is just the modern version of highway robbery, bankers and lawyers getting their piece of the pie. C, this will be fun to watch. D, the only thing I care about Disney is whether it makes good movies and TV shows and I don't pay attention to anything else. 
So all of the above, uh, E would I guess be be my answer, okay. which is so. Look, the, if you t- if you take out the latter two, which is fun to watch, sure. Uh, my main concern for Disney is the content that they produce. Um, sure. Right. So then you get into is this good or bad for capitalism in the economy, right? And, you know, I, I think it depends. I think sometimes a, a private equity fund takes a position in a big company and forces change that's really necessary. It's a company that is stagnant in many ways. And because the CEO doesn't want to risk her or his, usually his these days, um, grip on power. They have a board that completely is in their pocket and that company is sort of falling apart. So sometimes a, a private equity firm comes in and they actually manage to, to spice things up and make it better. Um, and then other times it, it's purely about moving numbers from one column to another and back again to, to get your slice of the pie. Um, I don't know enough about this, what Loeb is saying about Disney specifically to say whether he's right or not, but I will say other than in the last year or so after Iger left, at least up until Iger, it seemed like an extremely well-run, thoughtful company. Um, and so it would, if, if you said to me, make a list well, the of press the press definitely loves Iger, so. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, his book, by the way, was really good. Did you read it? No. I didn't expect it to be good, and then it was. Um, the guy I worked with uh, helped him write it. Um, but um, yeah, so I, I, it, I don't know in this case whether Loeb particularly has a, a strong point or not about Disney, but I, I think ultimately it, it's easy to sort of vilify the hedge funds and the, and the private equity and everything else. Um, and oftentimes that may be deserved, but, but sometimes it's legit. Uh, what was the last viral video somebody sent you that actually impressed you? The only time I will ever watch any kind of TikTok or anything else is, is if Lyle shows it to me. And what does Lyle like to send you? Um, he doesn't even send me, he just sort of shows it to me. So it, it's usually like either someone doing some sort of gag that he thinks is hilarious and I generally don't, or it's about sneakers. Um, you know, uh, the sneaker game has improved a lot, by the way. Lyle's had a positive influence in that regard. He, he care. he really likes the idea of, of me and him having a couple of the same pairs of sneakers. And it's sort of so cute that he wants that, that I always sort of give in and buy them. <laughs> um, the uh, it's so weird. My father-in-law actually showed me a, a, like a video that he just loved of like a guy who does these weird continuity things with like TV, you know, where he'll like like do some hand motion and then you'll see something on screen like a movie thing where something uh-huh. happens and it looks like he did it, you know. Oh, that's cool. And it was I was watching and I was like, oh my god, this guy has spent like hundreds of hours like you know like figuring this shit out. And yeah, like, but look for that guy. Clearly. You know, it, yeah. it obviously is fulfilling to him, and I'm sure it's gratifying to a ton of money. see Walter be excited about it. So, you know, it's good. <laughs> Would you invest in something that Adam Newman brought to you if you no. thought it was a great idea? No. Would you take the meeting? No. No. I have some friends that worked for him as, like, chief of staff, communication, pr- pretty close roles. Okay. I, I don't invest in founders that I know are terrible, terrible people. You think he's a terrible person? Just based on the people who okay. worked for him, what right. they told me, yes. And... If I think someone's a really, really terrible person, um, I typically don't want to invest in them. Now, look, the the public's view or the media's view of, of a CEO or of a founder isn't necessarily the same as mine, so I don't necessarily care. But in this particular case, um, too many people on the inside had too much to say that would give me too much pause. Okay, I, 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 given your answer to that, I know what your answer to this would be, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Maybe you'll have something fresh to say. Um, what about Elizabeth Holmes and say 10 no. years after all her legal problems go away if they ever do? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. There are so many good startups out there. <laughs> we see so many deals. We only invest around 1% to 1.5% in them. 
Uh, there's so much that You're I not can, wasting your time with Elizabeth Holmes. Well, just time or money or anything else. And also, if you did invest in an Ann Newman company or Elizabeth Holmes company, especially if you're a relatively small fund like us, then that becomes the one thing in your portfolio that everyone knows about. And all of a sudden, you know, that's what you're known for, right? And I don't want that. Have you ever visited a prison? Yes. Uh, in the summer of 1997, I was at the, working at the Justice Department for the summer. It was the only real summer I've ever practiced law. Uh, two summers, actually. Um, and uh, they took us on a tour of a federal prison in Richmond, Virginia. And do you remember anything about it that was, uh, that was not to your expectations, where you thought, like, wow, I didn't realize this is what happened at a prison or what it looked like or anything like that? No. I mean, interestingly, because the vast majority of us have never been to a prison, right? And yet at the same time, so many movies and other forms of media have scenes in prisons. Right. And some of them are obviously totally outlandish, but I think a lot of them are, are fairly realistic. So no, it, it, it didn't radically diverge from, from what my perception was. Do you have a favorite prison movie? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, it was like a jail. Yeah, what was the one with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder, where they like were rodeo cowboys and they use that to sneak out of prison? <laughs> That's a good choice. That's the one. I'm gonna That's go not with. really a prison movie, but yeah, okay. Do you remember that though? I vaguely. I the, mean, the, I know, it's, it's not the one with the talking goat. It's a different one. A different one. Yeah. I think you've given enough information where if somebody wants to track that down, they're going to be able to do it. Um, my next question was about the NFL. We somehow already got to that, since uh, apparently Americans believe in as much in the NFL as. as uh, well, yeah, and there was a great line on, on Billions once, um, where some, I guess, the main character wanted to buy a football team, and uh, the the person who he was talking to, I guess, who had the power over it, you know, relished in saying to him, "No, we're going to screw you over," but also said. Sports owners are royalty. It's kind of, they're the American version of royalty. Um, to a certain extent, that's true. Does Putin cutting off natural gas exports to Europe put the war in Ukraine closer to its conclusion or further away? It's <sighs> a really good question. Um, I, I would say further away, right? Because every time Putin makes a, a strategic move like that, it never really seems to work for him, right? We are now, what, six months into this war. Ukraine had a big weekend. They, they drove Russians back significantly. And so this thing isn't going away. So yes, he will do that in an effort to put pressure on Europe and the U.S. to stop providing aid to the Ukraine. And um, he's tried that in various ways before. Hasn't worked. I don't think it'll work here, too. Um, so it probably just prolongs it. But also, I, I don't really know what the end game here on the Ukraine is, right? For the Ukraine, they just have to keep fighting until they've either been defeated or have driven the Russians out completely. So it really seems like it comes down to Putin. And the question is, does he want some sort of negotiated settlement where he kind of saves face? Or does he just want to kind of fight to the end like we did in Vietnam? And if he loses, he loses. What is your best advice for getting a good night's sleep? Good question. Uh, I'm not the best person to ask this question to, but I would say... Um, what have you tried that works? Last night, I took two, two Tylenol PM. That worked. Okay. Um, do you do like one of those like mattress like temperature things or anything? No, but I think, you know, to the extent that you can afford it, it, it my friend Van said this to me once, I want to card it for him. You spend roughly a third of your life in bed, which is more than any single other place by far. If you're going to invest in something expensive, it ought to be a mattress. And so I think having a good mattress certainly helps. Having the right pillow certainly help. Um, but yeah, I am, I am no one's model for, for how to sleep well. Now that marijuana and gambling have been decriminalized across broad swaths of the country, how long will it do? How long will it be before the same happens with prostitution? 
It's a really good question. I, I think there's a key difference, which is one of agency, right? So if you're gambling, you yourself are choosing to place a bet on whatever it is, and you live with the consequences of it. If you are using drugs, using marijuana, kind of same thing, right? And in fact, if anything, legalization of it probably reduces a lot of the negative um you know, consequences of it. I'm, I'm forgetting negative externalities. What they would have said in law nice. school. I was, um, was going to yeah. mention externalities. Um, with prostitution, look, if it is truly someone, a woman or a man that that independently says, "This is how I want to make a living," you would think that they should have the right to do so. But from what at least you hear, it seems like you know most of it is sex trafficking, right, and people being taken against their will, uh, almost modern day slavery in a way, and so. If you had none of that and all of the people engaging in prostitution had complete agency, then, yeah, I don't think it would be any different than than the other things you mentioned. But it um, doesn't seem like that's the case. Uh, what's the best way to fake your own death? Huh. That's a really good question. Um, you know, the whole Bermuda Triangle thing seems like it could be, but then you still have to have a plane that, that at least... To fly into the Bermuda Triangle I, and then don't so come that, out? That seems stupid. Um, what if you just had someone announce on social media that you died and that you died in some sort of mysterious circumstance where the body is not to be found and you just disappear? But of course, doing that would mean going off the grid completely, no electronics, no credit cards, no bank account. Um, it would be very hard to live that way. You would have had to have done something so terrible that the consequences that you're facing somehow make that worth it. Well, that's for sure. I guess, so there's a, a, an article I read that uh, from the browser that uh, suggested that, I guess the default thing that people do is they do um, uh, something in, uh, involving water, you know, like a fake a water death, you know? Yeah. Like they disappear on the water or whatever. And apparently that's like a really easily discovered one, like a really debunked one. You can figure that out. So the one that people don't do that, that, that or they think of less, but that works really well is to disappear like while hiking. Like apparently people disappear all the time. Like people literally go off like some path and are never heard from again. And so, um, I mean, because of mistakes, because they, you know, go down the wrong trail. Bears, they got eaten by bears. They could be eaten by bears. Um, Um, Yeah, I mean, an analogous question, although a little more depressing, is when people who have done something terrible are heading to jail for an incredibly long period of time or the rest of their life, and we know jail to be a horrible experience, why don't more of them kill themselves? I've never quite understood that. Yeah. I guess it's the human will to live just sort of outweighs everything. Um, but I'm always sometimes surprised when someone uh, actually sort of just goes to trial, has their sentence, and just sort of lives it all out, um, as opposed to saying, I'm never going to get out of here, and why would I choose to go through this? Um, is the worst of the crypto crash behind us? For now. You know, look, there's no cyclicality yet to crypto because it's such a new concept, right? So... You know, it, right now, it is more aligned with the ups and downs of the regular market than you would have expected. It, it should have been counter-cyclical, and yet it's kind of risen and fallen with, with the stock market generally. So, you know, did it bottom out? I, I hope so. Um, but because we don't—the only thing that drive crypto pricing is sort of ideology and momentum, you know, it, it could go in wild swings in any direction at any time. You know, we've talked on this podcast before about— what if you limited crypto trading to only tokens that have some sort of intrinsic value, like there you can build upon them with blockchain apps, or there's limited supply, or it is tied to 
the dollar with the actual reserve set aside, but something where there's enough there that there's something fundamental to the token so that it's not 100% just solely based on like a tweet from Elon Musk. (laughs) What's the piece of federal tech regulation that would do the most immediate good and should be enacted immediately right away? I mean, I think listeners are sick of hearing me say this, but repealing Section 230. Okay. Um, I think the internet is a toxic place. I think Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, Twitter especially now. And the reason why they get away with it is... The more negative the content, the more people click, the more people click, the more money they make. Um, that's what they care about. And right now, because of Section 230, um, the platforms are protected from any legal liability, which means they can claim they're trying to do something about um, sites that promote eating disorders or cutting or, or any kind of bad thing, uh, but they don't actually do anything about it. If all of a sudden they lost their legal protection and they were being sued for billions of dollars constantly for this stuff, they'd find a way to make it a lot better. Are the odds of that passing increasing or decreasing right now or staying the same? You know, interestingly, um, it's one of those things that actually may not be wildly affected by the midterms um, in the sense that we've talked about this before. Both parties hate the platforms for different reasons. Republicans think they're sort of a anti-conservative bias. Liberals think that they, th- they threw the election to Trump in 2016. Um, but whatever the reason, you have commonality of opposition on this thing. And so let's assume there's a Republican House, a Democratic Senate, a Democratic White House. They're not going to get much done. They don't get much done even when it's all one party. Um, but I do think that tech regulation is one of those things that does have a shot. And I think of those which are most important to me would be Section 230. If you're Steve Cohen, do you sign Aaron Judge in the offseason? No, and not because he's not incredible, because he really, really is. But baseball is not... So in the NBA, what what they've learned is you need at least two superstars and then a decent kind of rest of the team to win the title, right? Great players on their own, like a Michael Jordan couldn't do it, but once you brought him a Scottie Pippen and then a Horace Grant or a Rodman or other people around him, they won six titles. In baseball, it's not two or three people. So the, the Angels have arguably the two best players in baseball, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, they're terrible, and they're always terrible, right? So I I think that baseball requires much more of a team approach. Aaron Judge, because he bet on himself and has had the most incredible season, and I really do hope he breaks Maris' record, um, is going to command, I don't know, eight-year, $350 million contract or something like that, and the Mets have... Um, to ground uh, company, the free agent Edwin Diaz, Brandon Nemo, Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, a bunch of other people, and so and this is a really good team. So I, I would rather see them uh, re-sign some of their players and address some other liabilities than spend it all on Aaron Judge. The twenty twenty four presidential election comes down to Liz Cheney versus AOC. Who are you voting for? Oof. That's a really tough one, man. Is there a third party candidate? Uh, well, you could invent one. All right, let's, let's assume for <laughs> sake of this so that I can't get out of the question. Um, off the top of my head, I would say I respect what Liz Cheney has done on the January 6th work, even if it was ultimately designed to promote her political career in a different direction than the conventional one, whereas I find AOC in, in incredibly sort of unlikable simply because I just hate self-righteousness in all, all ways and forms, regardless of where Pick it comes one. from. So I would have to then go through their policy proposals, and I think what would happen is that Liz Cheney would have enough things on there that are problematic for me, like being pro-life or anti-gay or whatever else. Although I think her sister's gay, so maybe that w- wouldn't be an issue with her. I-, I guess there'd be some disqualifiers, and once those qualifiers came, I guess I'd have to be for AOC. Um, but 
uh, I'd probably try to set that election out. <laughs> um, if it becomes obvious to leaders of the Democratic Party that Joe Biden is too frail to effectively run for re-election in 2024, what's the best mechanism for preventing him from doing so other than someone beating him in the primary? Well, I think Biden is a very old school, traditional politician, and I think he still respects a lot of the old school customs. So clearly he was told in 2016 by Obama, you can't run or supporting Hillary, right? Would you like to read a transcript of that conversation? That would be awesome. Um, Should we write that? Like, what the hell? I'm sure it's been what? written, but yeah, it must have been a fun conversation. And you haven't heard anything about it, right? Like, I mean, that was just that was just Obama and Joe sitting there who, yeah, I don't know, drinking an alcohol-free beer. But right, but but e either way, he responded to that, right? And so I think he is someone that still cares about leadership and convention and tradition and all of that. And so if all of the leaders of the party, including probably Obama again, went to Biden and said, listen, you just can't do this, it would probably have more resonance with him than it would with a lot of other people. Uh, two more questions, ready? Yeah. Um, what's the, who's the hard to get guest you would most like to have on Firewall? That's a good question. So confession number one here, I, I don't have heroes. I, I know that you're supposed to have heroes. There are people I certainly admire. But I just don't, and, and maybe that's an indictment of my own character or my own narcissism or whatever else. Um, so it's not like, oh, this would make my dream come true. Like, you know, Obama, he'd be great to have on the podcast, but like, I bet him before a couple, a bunch of times, actually. Also, there's like, nothing not that, that Obama that thinks that you and don't know. No, when he wrote that 800-page book, they didn't say all that much. The, if, if, if the have already forgotten about that. If Mark Zuckerberg were totally, completely candid and transparent— I would love to interview him simply because, one, um, I'd like to see how he thinks the impact of everything he's doing on the world is. Um, I'd like his thoughts on the metaverse, his thoughts on AI. So um, if he were being truly open and thoughtful, I would go to Zuckerberg. Um, two days ago, uh, when, this, uh, when this is posted, uh, was the anniversary of 9-11. How do you reflect on it, and to what extent has your view of it shifted over the years? It's a good question. So it... One thing that I thought yesterday is that it didn't feel like yesterday, right? Sometimes there are things that happen like, oh, my God, I can't believe that was 25 years ago. It felt like that just happened. It feels like a long time ago. Um, but at the same time, I think anyone who was here for it, especially if you were in Manhattan or downtown Brooklyn or anywhere where you really were, you know, could see it and, and it, be impacted by it, um, it it's, it's kind of etched into your, your memory. So on one hand, you know, I have incredibly vivid memories from the, the minute the first plane hit. Um, over all the way through the next few months of, of the recovery efforts. Um, on the other hand, you know, one thing you got to, for as dysfunctional as our government seems to be, we have had very few to no um, terrorist attacks of the nature that 9-11 was. We obviously have lots and lots of mass shootings, and I think those could be qualified and classified as as domestic terror. But overall, you know, you haven't seen any kind of major successful follow-up um, and that's got to be partly due to good policing like that with the NYPD. And look, while I think the war in Iraq was incredibly stupid, maybe by Bush going on offense so much, he put al-Qaeda and then ISIS and everyone else on defense that, that they've been on the run ever since and haven't had the capacity to, to, to plan anything successfully. So, you know, um, I, I think that the, the main lesson is just that when we don't, when we're not aware of the risk that we face and we take things for granted and we're too lax and we're too lazy, bad shit happens. Now, bad shit could still happen anyway, but at least when it comes to this type of stuff, like, look, I no one likes the TSA. They're a huge pain in the ass. 
But you know what? I, I would rather be there than not. If you said to me, do you want to get on a plane where you can show up two minutes before takeoff, no problem, but, every, but no one's going through any kind of security at all, right? I don't know. Probably, you know, probably not, right? Although I get on the subway like that and I get on the, you know, I don't take the bus, but if I did the bus like that. So <laughs> if you I, took the bus, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Um, so I, I think ultimately we have put some things in place that clearly have worked because of the absence of subsequent, you know, at least foreign terrorist attacks. Okay. So that's, that's the, 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 the lightning round is concluded, but I realized, and this is maybe just a good question to sort of set up the future episodes of firewall as well, since, uh, you know, we'll definitely to get to work on, um, Getting Mark Zuckerberg to come on. Yeah, I'm sure he's coming um, on any day now. Yeah, no. In fact, we'll probably have to bump Jordan on Thursday. Yeah, sure, we may have to do that. Um, office will be calling us immediately. So of the stuff on your plate um, at, at Tusk, at, at, uh, at, the, at the strategies, at the venture fund, at the philanthropies, what's the, what's the thing that you're most excited about working on this fall? Or just name one. It doesn't have to be most, but something that you really want to get done that you feel like is, is um, I mean, like in the spring, it could have been getting this bookstore open. It right. wasn't the biggest part of your, you know, portfolio of yeah. interest, but it was it was something that was really important to you. Uh, finishing and announcing a uh, acquisition on my SPAC and uh, hoping that someone will publish my novel. Uh, Kirsten, my agent, sent it out to publishers last week. You know, I think the odds of of doing well there are probably the same odds of, of startups pitching venture founder venture capitalists but um, how much know, uh, how many how many publishers did she send out to she said five okay um, that you think there are a lot of other smaller presses so if assuming all five say no maybe, maybe we can convince someone else elsewhere to take it um, but you know I, I I guess the the book that Hall of very good players just put together and it's it's super fun Um yeah, and on the sort of like the stuff that's sort of most meaningful, like hunger and voting, we don't have anything major planned for the fall, in part because legislators, legislatures are not really in session. Um, so there's not as much to do. Right. All right, Bradley, I'll see you next week. All right, thanks.